It's very tough if you don't have an intention for the book you're reading, you don't have a goal around the book to actually translate it into behavior change. So if I was reading The Power of One More by Ed Milet, I might say, I'm looking for two actionable strategies that I can implement by the end of next week to take better action because I'm currently living under my potential. It bothers me every day and I know that I'm capable of doing more. Welcome again to another episode of One Starfish, where our mission is to change the world one starfish or one person at a time. If we can help change one person together, we can make a massive difference. As always, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, share, all the stuff. That's how we get our word out. Um, The guy we have on today, I just met him today, so I'm excited to get into his story. Nick Hutchinson started Book Thinkers back in 2017. He helps authors get out there more, um, apparently big into the reading aspect. Got his own book coming out here in November, Um, so definitely check that out. We'll have all that information in the show notes, but really excited to get into the story. Thanks for being on here, Nick. Yeah, Angela, I love your mission of helping one person or one starfish at a time. I think it resonates with me in a big way. I believe that the right book at the right time can change somebody's life. And I'm always looking to make those connections for people. I love it. Super cool. So let's go back. What 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 did you do before Book Thinkers? What got you into that? Yeah, tell us a little bit about, about you, Nick. Sure. So I was not much of a reader growing up. I was more of the jock stereotype. I was captain of the wrestling team. I played football and I wasn't the best student. And then I went to college and it was kind of more of the same. I was a little bit disconnected from my academic experience, but I took an internship going into my senior year of college. And my boss at the time introduced me to the world of podcasting, just like this, where a host would interview a series of guests and the guests would talk about what made them successful. And I had about an hour commute to and from that job during the summer. And so I started listening to a bunch of podcasts. And so many of these guests modeled the type of behavior that I wanted to be when I grew up, right? And they all talked about the books that they read that helped them become successful. Now, that was a big disconnect for me because I wasn't open to reading personal development books. It just wasn't interesting to me. But interview after interview after interview, people talked about books. (laughs) And so I went to my local Barnes & Noble, a bookstore. I got about 10 books. I went back to that internship. And because I only had a few hours a day of actual work to do, I could sort of close the door and read for a few hours every day as well. And I was hooked instantly. And I started to address areas of my life that I could either uh, remove problems or double down on skills. And I just, I became obsessed with reading and implementing these books to build a better life for myself. That's really cool. What were some of the first books you read? Do you remember? Oh yeah, of course. The first book that I read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And that book talks about the importance of financial literacy. Mm -hmm. Money is a subject that's not typically taught at school. It's taught at home, which means that not everybody is on an even playing field. Rich kids get to learn from rich parents. Poor and middle-class kids get to learn from poor and middle-class parents. Mm -hmm. And so unless you seek alternative education, unless you read books from people who are wealthy, like Robert Kiyosaki, you're not going to just stumble into that type of financial literacy and understand Mm -hmm. the game. And so from that very first book, I was like, wow, you know, I'm kind of shy and insecure and scared to talk about money in front of my friends and family. I wonder if I read a few more books, if I could completely reverse that and become confident in the subject of money. And so that's what I did. I read a few more books 
like The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. I read The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Clayson and Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And from that moment on, I was leading conversations about money and very confident. I understood how it worked. And it just felt like this entire universe of opportunity had opened up after $100 worth of books and maybe a couple dozen hours of my time. And uh, yeah, it was a pretty incredible feeling. Wow, that's so cool. So then you got into that and then fast forward, what got you into starting Book Thinkers um, and writing your own book? Tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, I wanted to start my own business. I, I was never a great employee, probably for the same reason that I wasn't a great student. Um, I did continue with that internship into a full-time job and I built Book Thinkers as a side hustle, sort of on the side. Uh, the first real monetization opportunity with the business happened because I was posting about the books that I was reading on social media and the audience started to grow. I was connecting with like-minded people. And eventually authors started to reach out and say, hey, Nick, your audience is my target reader. I would love to pay you to review my book and share it with them, kind of in the hopes that they would sell some books. And I thought, wow, I can get paid to read. That's pretty cool. And so that was the first monetization strategy that worked. I was being paid to review books, which I was doing for free anyway, and sharing them with my audience. And every time I would finish one of those paid engagements, I would try to ask the author, hey, is there anything else that I can help with related to book marketing, PR, podcasting, social media? And I would always try things out. Most of them were unsuccessful, but a few of them worked. And so, you know, eventually my full-time job and my side hustle sort of switched places and I was able to make the jump to a full-time business. And the reason that I decided to write the book is because Book Thinkers as a social media platform, my social media platform, does about a million impressions a month. And tons and tons of people reach out every month and say, hey, Nick, I'm reading all these books that you're recommending. They're exciting to me, but I'm having a tough time translating that information and that excitement mm -hmm. into action. Mm -hmm. And I've read hundreds and hundreds of books and implemented something from almost every single one of them. And I would try to tell people what I was doing, but it felt like, I don't know, I wasn't really doing them justice because I was just sending them a few paragraphs or maybe answering with a quick voice note or two. And it took me literally years of analyzing my own behavior and then writing it down and documenting it and figuring out how was I taking information and translating it into real behavior change. And so that's why I decided to write the book so that I could give everybody who was interested uh, the full description of what I was actually doing. Because uh, here I am, I'm 29 years old and I love everything about my life. There's no difference between like what I want in the future and what I have now. Maybe a little bit more money, maybe helping people at a bigger scale, but I was able to create a life where I feel like I'm living up to my potential and I'm genuinely fulfilled every single day. And I know so many people don't have that. I didn't have that when I first started this journey. And so the book that I've written, Rise of the Reader, is all about strategies for mastering your reading habits and applying what you learn. And uh, it's what I wish that I had when I first started the journey. Yeah, so true. A lot of people read and they don't take action and then it doesn't really do any good anyway. <laughs> so yeah. it's like going to the gym and looking at the equipment. If you don't get on it, it really doesn't do much good. Um, I tried that. It didn't work well. So what do you <laughs> what do you see as one of the biggest things? You know, obviously, we're not going to give away all the books, but what are a couple of the tangible tips that you do have in the book that people can implement right away to implement their reading right away? <laughs> 
Angela, it's a great question. One of my favorite ways to answer this question uh, is by setting an intention for each book that you read. So, so many times I'll meet somebody and they'll say, hey, what are you reading? And they'll tell me a book. Oh, I'm reading The Power of One More by Ed Milet. Cool. Why are you reading it? What do you, what do you mean? Why am I reading it? Why are you reading the book? Well, somebody recommended it or, you know, I follow Ed on social media or whatever the case is. And it's very tough if you don't have an intention for the book you're reading, you don't have a goal around the book to actually translate it into behavior change. So if I was reading The Power of One More by Ed Milet, I might say, I'm looking for two actionable strategies that I can implement by the end of next week to take better action because I'm currently living under my potential. It bothers me every day and I know that I'm capable of doing more. And so what I'll do with that intention is I'll write it down on the inside cover of the book and I'll review it each and every time I read a few chapters. Or you can put it on a sticky note if you're listening to the book or you have an e-reader. And what that does is it helps your brain filter for two actionable strategies that you can implement Mm -hmm. so that you can take better action and live up to your potential. And you're far more likely to take action if you have some sort of framework and some sort of goal that you'd like to fulfill. And I like to use the SMART goal framework, specific, measurable, attainable, written or relevant, and time-bound to set that goal. So I want to implement two things by the end of next week that's specific, it's measurable, it's definitely attainable. It's not like I want to make a million bucks by next week. It's uh, relevant to my life or it's written down in an accountability tracker and it's time-bound. I want to do it by the end of next week. And that's the very first step, I think, for getting more out of the books that you're reading. You have to set that intention. You have to write it down on the inside cover and you have to review it each and every time you read the book. Oh, that's so good. What are some mistakes that you think people make um, commonly in in reading? Like, is there a consistency thing that you think is really important? Like people maybe read a book and then they take like, I don't know, time off um, or they read, you know, maybe not the right book for them or anything like that. Like, what are some things that you think are things that people do that maybe aren't as effective? (laughs) Yeah, tons of things. I mean, I've done so many of them. Reading without an intention uh, would be the example that I just gave, but I'll give you another one. I think that reading and taking notes are two different activities. And we all know that multitasking is not actually effective. And so what I like to do is while I'm reading, if something catches my attention or it might help me fulfill the goal that I've set for the book, I'll circle it, I'll bracket it, I'll highlight it, and then I'll go back to it once I'm done with my reading session. I don't want to lose momentum and have to start reading again because I'm in the middle of taking notes. And so what I like to do, like I said, is I'm going through the book, I highlight something, and then once I'm done with that reading session, I'll go back and I'll review my notes. And anything that I think can help me fulfill that goal that I've just mentioned, the intention for the book, I'll rewrite that because repetition leads to retention. And there's something about a pen and paper. I always like to rewrite my notes on paper first, and then I'll rewrite them again once I'm done with the entire book into an online notebook like Evernote. That's something that you can download on your phone. You can have it on your computer. It's always going to be accessible. And I've actually lost a few paper notebooks in the past that had a bunch of book notes. So it's a good way to minimize (laughs) the risk there. And like I said, repetition leads to retention. And you don't want to multitask. You want to divide and conquer. You want to read, and then you want to go back and review, and then you want to take notes once you're done with that. 
That's good. So when you went into from, you know, uh, working a job into running your own business, what were some of the obstacles that you faced? Was there, you know, was your family super supportive? I see you have a beautiful wife. Um, was she super supportive or, or did you go through some, like a lot of people go through, a lot of people are like, what are you thinking? You're crazy. Um, and if so, how did you handle that? The criticism that I received from friends and family at first while building book thinkers was more around, Hey, enjoy your life. Don't work so much. You know, I had a nine to five and then book thinkers became my five to nine and I would work on it on weekends. And I think that that's because I genuinely loved what I was doing and it did bring me a lot of joy. And what's funny about working very hard, I think, especially earlier in your life is that it sets you up for success for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would always do what others wouldn't today so that I could do what others couldn't tomorrow, that type mm-hmm. of mentality. So I sacrificed a lot of nights out and, uh, you know, time at the bar and drinks and that kind of stuff to build this business. I received some advice very early in my journey from a mentor of mine, Kevin Horsley. He's the author of a book called Unlimited Memory. He's a brilliant guy. And he said, hey, Nick, don't jump too soon. One of the reasons that 95% of small businesses fail is because the entrepreneur doesn't have an emergency fund. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have an emergency fund or a nest egg, you're going to operate from a place of scarcity. That scarcity will bleed into your decision-making, you'll compromise on values, you'll discount your services, and you'll lose the integrity of what you're trying to build. So I kept my full-time job literally past the point that I had employees. So I had employees working at BookThinkers, money coming in the door, money going out. It was a real business and I still had my full-time job. So by the time that I did make the jump, it was a little scary because, you know, I was making a decent amount of money at that job. I had health insurance down here in the US and uh, boom, it gets cut. And so, yeah, it was a little bit of a difficult conversation, but uh, with my wife, uh, we were just engaged at the time. But I said, hey, I don't want to look back on my life and wish that I had taken this risk uh, and didn't. I'm looking back with old eyes today. I want to be the biggest, baddest, boldest version of myself. And that means taking an educated jump. I didn't try to build the parachute on the way down, right? I already had the parachute mm-hmm. built. Now it was just time to jump. And uh, you know, what's so funny is my input to the business didn't really increase once I went full-time because I had managed to take my full-time job, like the traditional job and and kind of, I don't know, automate much of it. So it was just a small amount of activity. So I didn't put more time into book thinkers, but revenue essentially doubled the first month that I decided to go full-time. And I think that's because it was like the universe saying, okay, this was the right step. Like finally, you've taken the jump. And so, yeah, you know, it all worked out. I know it doesn't always work out for people, but I think slow and steady sort of won this race, at least so far, instead of trying to go too fast, too big, too bad. That's awesome. So once you kind of explained that to your fiance at the time, was she still like, I don't know about this? Or was she like, okay, yeah, I totally trust you. Oh yeah. She trusts me with it. And uh, she loves the business. It creates a lot of flexibility for us. Um, she was just a little nervous, I think, up front. You know, she she works a full-time job and she loves the predictability of a paycheck. 
and entrepreneurship is wild and scary and there's a lot more responsibility, I think. And so, yeah, she was a little nervous up front, but she was totally supportive with it. And I, the nice thing too is what's the worst case scenario? I go back and work a full-time job again. Like I was good at what I did and I could go back to it. So I think uh, I was just in a place where I felt confident because I sort of minimized all risks. That's cool. Now, did your parents, well, parents and friends outside of, you know, outside of her, of course, but outside of that, did you have a lot, you said some of the people were like, you worked, you know, you work too much. One of the things I hear a lot of people that are getting into entrepreneurship that they struggle with is like, I don't want to lose my friends and family, blah, blah, blah. So how do you, how did you handle that? And what are some tips that you would give a young entrepreneur on, you know, how to handle that? It's a great question. My parents were very supportive and I was just very transparent about, listen, I'm not taking this jump too soon. I think most businesses fail because they do. Mm -hmm. I have a little bit of a nest egg here. I can work to make this work for a while. I didn't jump into a business that wasn't generating revenue. I built it up and it was generating revenue and paying people and working with people uh, before I made that jump. And I think I just communicated that with friends and family. And that's what I would encourage any young entrepreneurs or any entrepreneurs young in their journey um, listening today, Angela, is just that slow and steady. I really believe that wins the race. And you don't want to go too fast because you'll end up falling on your face. And if you don't have the financial support, the family support, the friend support, it's going to make it a little bit tougher. And, uh, you know, with Book Thinkers, it took a long time, 2017, really six years of working on the business before it became a full-time job for me. Um, but I didn't have to sacrifice that much. You know, we get to travel around the world a lot and we work remotely and, uh, I think through the journey too, I collected a lot of friends who are entrepreneurial and, you know, I think that support system has helped a lot as well. That's awesome. That makes total sense. Yeah. Sometimes you, you know, it doesn't, you're not losing. I never felt like I was losing friends. I just gained new friends. So sometimes you have to cut people out in a nice loving way in order to make room for the people that you want to be around. Um, yeah. It's like changing relationships. Yeah. Yeah, Sometimes not everybody in your life uh, is meant to serve as motivation or, or an accountability partner. Sometimes they're just family members and friends and you can try to lift them up, and have them rise with you. I mean, I gift people books all the time uh, Mm -hmm. that I think could help them out and they don't have to read them, but you know, the, the, yeah, the proof is in the pudding uh, so far. It's like, read these books. They're going to help you, you know? I love that. That's so cool. So what are some, what are some things that, you know, outside of reading that you've really implemented that have, that have helped you with the journey? You talked about podcasts, you talked about reading, you also talked about coaching. How do you feel that that, you know, has, you know, helped you? Have you had a coach? You mentioned one person. Have you had a coach the whole time? Um, And how has that, yeah. Where do you think that that's helped you? Yeah, I, so I have a bazillion coaches. Most of them come in the form of books and podcasters, social media accounts that are positive. But I do meet with Kevin Horsley still today. I started meeting with him, I think in 2018, and uh, we still meet on a weekly basis today. And he's constantly providing feedback. I think that when a coach stays with you for a long time, they have a, a better database of understanding who you are, why you make decisions, what's best for your business. And so yeah, the consistency has helped with that. 
Um, I'm, I'm in the gym every single day. I love my morning routine. I spend a lot of time meditating, practicing mindfulness, gratitude, journaling, affirmations. I'm somebody who's into all of that. I've gone through uh, the 75 hard program a number of times now. And, uh, you know, so I love the mental toughness, the fitness, um, you know, running, things like that. World travel is my favorite form of personal development because you're constantly facing uh, discomfort, new languages, new foods, new currencies, things like that. I just love everything about international travel. And I think it's an underrated growth experience that a lot of people could probably go through. Mm -hmm. And so those are a lot of my hobbies and the things that I've implemented. And I've implemented something, like I said, from almost every book that I've read. And sometimes that's just a simple perspective shift or mindset change. Sometimes it's an actual activity like meditation or, you know, intermittent fasting or long periods of fasting. I mean, I love all that kind of stuff. That's cool. Um, I love that. So in wrapping up, you know, and guys get the book, it'll help you study other books. This will save time. Um, you know, I always ask three final questions and then anything that we didn't touch on that you just think is really important for our listeners to, to know. Uh, first and final question is, um, you know, if someone's looking for their purpose, what's one sentence you would say that could help them find it? Your purpose comes from your pain. Hmm. Elaborate a little bit. I read a book by Evan Carmichael called Built to Serve. And one of the lines that he has in the beginning is that your purpose comes from your pain. So for me, here's the example. I was dealing with an ego on one side of the spectrum, a lot of insecurities on the other in my late teens, early 20s. I read a lot of good books that helped me completely overcome those problems. And so what am I doing today? I'm serving my younger self, the person that was experiencing a lot of confusion and pain. And so I'm doing that by recommending books and giving frameworks and examples of how you can take information, translate it into action that will help you become a better version of yourself. And so my purpose, which is helping other people take action and make progress, is a result of the pain that I experienced, you know, the version of me that was stagnant, not taking action, that type of thing. So I think most of us, we, we try to serve our younger self. We try to solve some pain that they're facing. And that's why I say your purpose comes from your pain. I love that. Second one, and this might be tied, is, you know, what's a favorite quote and why? My favorite quote is, reality is negotiable. That's a quote from The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, one of my favorite books. Mm -hmm. And what Tim says in that book is just that you can design a life that is uniquely fulfilling to you. You don't have to follow society's standard set of recommendations, go to college for four years, you know, uh, go get a job with a big paycheck and a big name on your business card, go into debt, buy a house, go into debt, buy another car, have Mm -hmm. 2.5 kids. Like that doesn't have to be for everybody. And, uh, I decided to start my own business and spend a lot of it traveling internationally. And that's, what's uniquely fulfilling to me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, just remember that reality is negotiable. You have more control than you think you do. I love that. That's super awesome. All right. And third and final question is what's one word or sentence you want on your gravestone? I think the words would be family first. Cool. All right. So you run into someone in a coffee shop. They're like, Nick, that's awesome. You know, I'm getting into reading now and I'm doing all the things. I'm trying to do all the things. Um, What's something we didn't touch on today that you just think you really want to leave our listeners with? 
One of my favorite ways to implement information is by building an accountability group with your most motivated friends. Mm. And so you might reach out to a friend and say, hey, remember you said you wanted to run a marathon last year? Are you still planning on doing that? Maybe I could help hold you accountable. We could meet once a week and talk about it. Or, hey, I gave you that book last year. Did you have a chance to read it? No. Well, are you still dealing with that problem? Yes. What if I held you accountable to reading it? Would you want to go through the book with me on a weekly basis? And so you can start to build this accountability group that meets once a week or once every other week and talk about positive, constructive material. What I like to do when I'm reading a book is if I find something, I put it in an activity tracker, I make that visible to my friends, and then we talk about it. Hey, I read this really interesting thing. I'm going to try to implement it this week. Next week, I'll give you feedback. And you might even have that person follow up with you and text you throughout the week. Hey, are you trying this out? And I think that when you act in a group, when you leverage the power of the five people that you spend the most time with, it's it's beautiful how much more action you can take. If somebody's waiting for you at the gym, you're far more likely to show up, right? So if somebody's waiting for you to implement something from the books you're reading, you're far more likely to take better action, more action, and think about it a little bit more, reflect with them. And so the power of an accountability group cannot be understated. If somebody doesn't have any friends that they think would be open to something like this, social media is a great place to find other motivated people. If you follow Andy Frisella or Ed Milet, get in their comment section and connect with like-minded people. Somebody in their comment section would not find it strange if you DM them and said, hey, I see that you follow XYZ, I do too. Have you done XYZ challenge? Would you be open to jumping on a call and chatting a little bit about it? Or jump in Angela's comment section, see other people that listen to her podcast and connect with them offline. I was uh, I was on stage once and I said to the audience, it was about 100 people and I said, raise your hand if you'd like to start an accountability group. And it was after I talked about the power of an accountability group and every hand went up and I said, look around. Like if you don't have motivated friends, every person in this room almost is willing to start one with you. And uh, so, yeah, that's what I'd say. And read the read my book together. Get a couple of your friends and say, hey, I know we're all living under our potential. Let's all grab a copy of Rise of the Reader. Let's go through one chapter a week and talk about it. And uh, it could be the start of something beautiful. I love that. That's so awesome. Guys, like always, you know, make sure to get Nick's book. Um, we're going to be having it, uh, you know, it's going to be available when this is when this is being aired. So make sure that you get a copy of it. Um, as always, guys, make sure to rate, review, subscribe. Then that's how we get the word out. If we go out there and we help one person or one starfish together, we can change the world. Thanks so much for being on, Nick. I appreciate it. Thank you.